what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. I guess my thrive has been from a very young age. I always knew that I had rights and I wanted to establish them early on and I wanted to protect them early on. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that sheds light on the often untold teenage and young adult stories of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I'm Kashia Rosenberg, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend and Bridget founder, Asha Gabriel. So it's no secret that we love what we do here at Bridget. Our diverse library of badass females has only grown with the podcast. And with that, so has our community, something we're really proud of. So today we're bridging one such connection, and we're bringing on a longtime listener and supporter of Meet Bridget, Marlon Martinez. Marlon is a first-gen LA-born Latina currently in her third year of law school at University of West Los Angeles, where she's scheduled to earn her Juris Doctorate in May of 2024. She aspires to provide representation for all underserved communities while upholding her Cuban Salvadorian roots, and her main goal is to diversify the pool of U.S. attorneys to ensure justice and legal counsels available to all minority groups. I'm really excited to have you on the show, Marlon, and to share some of your experiences and major learnings throughout this huge transition in your life. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so, so much. I'm so excited to be here. So first of all, thank you so much for supporting us. As you know, we typically start out our episodes talking about formative teen years. So because this is a little bit more recent for you, I want you just to tell our listeners a little bit about where you're from in LA, like a little bit about your background, your parents, and and kind of go into why law school. Okay, yeah, sure. So first of all, um, I was originally born in Downey, California. Um, I'm a 99 baby within the first five days. So I'm happy to say that I'm still in the <laughs> 90s. Um, my parents both immigrated to LA in the 80s. My mom is a Cuban refugee and my dad is from San Julian, Sonsonate, El Salvador. My dad was a teacher and he was fleeing the civil war that was going on at the time in El Salvador and he came here to pursue a better life. And my mom was fleeing Cuba for political reasons. So my reason for going into law school stems from that why primarily. And wanting to represent people like my parents who come to this country for better opportunities and need legal representation that's attainable for them to get in order for them to achieve their goals. So after my parents immigrated here, they moved to Downey from their small little apartment in LA. They had my two brothers. I'm the youngest of three. And when I was in elementary school, I moved to the Valley and that's where I'm currently at now. I got my bachelor's degree in English literature at Cal State Northridge after high school, and I stayed local to the Valley, and now I go to UWLA in Woodland Hills. Okay, so you are obviously very driven and very passionate about what your goals are. To me, it sounds like you know exactly what you want to do and the direction you want to go. Did you always feel that way? Did your parents influence these things, or is this all Marlin? I think my parents definitely influenced me into always speaking up about what I felt was truly right. And it was important to them that I had some sort of mechanism that would allow me to use my voice to help other people that needed the assistance that were within our own communities. My parents will tell everyone that as a child, I said I wanted to be the first female president. And I was super insistent on knowing my rights. Ever since I was very young, I got my first ID at like the age that you can get it, which I'm pretty sure is like maybe six or seven. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly what age, but I was because very you young. Wanted it. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted it. And I told my mom, I want a piece of paper with my name and my some means of identification for me besides my passport that I can have on me at all times. And my mom was like, can you even get an ID? 
And I was like, I don't know, like, look it up for me. And she looked it up. And sure enough, I could get an ID. And the next day she took me to the DMV and I got one. They had to put me on a, like a desk chair that had to be pushed up all the way because they had never had a person so short sit in front of the (laughs) picture. Um, So I guess my drive has been from a very young age. I always knew that I had rights and I wanted to establish them early on and I wanted to protect them early on. And as I grew, I wanted to protect other people's rights. And I learned more and more about the people that are overlooked often in our society. And that's what really drove me. And without my parents allowing me, and of course my brothers, I'd like to credit my brothers who also went to the same law school as I'm currently in, My brothers and my parents both always let me be. I didn't have to ever explain myself to them. They were always just happy to support me in whatever decision I made. And they knew that as long as I had an opinion, it was valid. And I think that was very important in my upbringing and in my choice of career. And had it not been for that, I don't think I would have been as eager and insistent on my career path. Like the, the Latina Matilda. Yeah. Like heading to the yeah. library. No. And my mom and I were joking about this this weekend because she was like, you've always been so good with directions since you were little. And I was like, are you trying to compare me to Matilda when she would walk herself to the library? To the library. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> this little tiny with her girl. Wagon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And her books. And and she does. She actually educates herself on the legal process, which is how she gets adopted yeah. in the end. <laughs> Okay, so you had two older brothers that really helped shape sort of the direction that you were going to go in. Did you have resources when you were, you went to CSUN? How did you start to navigate the process between undergrad and then grad school? Like walk us through step by step kind of how you had to do it. Because for a lot of our listeners who are in this stage at this crux of their life trying to figure out whether they're going to go to grad school or go to college, I think it'd be really helpful to hear firsthand from somebody what steps you took, like if you had mentors, what resources yeah. you had to to lean on. When I was at CSUN, I already had a clear concept that I was going to take the LSAT and that I was going to pursue law school. That being said, I come from a very privileged background, so I did have some sort of resources as to, hey, how do I go about, you know, thinking about studying for the LSAT or how do I go about, you know, applying for the LSAC, which is like the main program that facilitates the LSAT exam. And I did Mm -hmm. have help in that sense, but other than that, I was pretty much on my own and I found that looking for mentors in positions where you may even not see yourself because to you it's unattainable is where you need to be. My first mentor, and I'm so grateful and lucky to have him, is a federal bankruptcy judge in a courthouse in Woodland Hills. Well, he sits in Woodland Hills and in Santa Barbara. And I now have this amazingly dear friendship with you know, a federal judge who I can literally ask any type of question to. And while I like to think I'm very lucky and not every mentor is like him, I think it is very important to step outside of your comfort zone and just ask and put yourself in a position where you can speak for yourself and advocate for yourself and say, I'm a really hard worker and I may not have the resume yet, but I'll get there Mm -hmm. and I'll show you. And I'm happy to put in the work to do it. So I think that's the main thing. Let's break it down a little bit further, too. So how did you find this mentor? Like, you decided, you knew you wanted to go to law school. You knew you were going to take the LSAT. So in my head, the next natural step would be, okay, who do I look to as an example and as a resource? So from that step to finding this federal judge as your mentor, how did you go about that? It's actually a pretty funny story, and I've never really said it aloud, so it's wild that I'm bringing this up. I actually met this federal judge when I was a senior in high school, and we both are alums from the same high school, and I believe someone in the courthouse that was some court staff member 
was the mother of my AP government teacher in high school. And so we took a field trip one day to his courthouse and we all gathered in our bus and I asked my aunt if I could borrow her pink blazer because we were told to dress <laughs> professionally and I didn't own a blazer that fit me yet. So um, I went to her house straight away the night before and I got my pink blazer and I got all dressed up in the morning and we went over and um, we sat through multiple hearings and it was one of the most fun experiences of my life seeing what I wanted to do in a firsthand setting. And now that I'm in law school, I understand all of the symbolic things that are placed within the courtroom and what it means to actually pass the bar and what that means for me when I do go into litigation and I argue in front of a judge. But, you know, back then I wasn't so sure about what was to come. And then long story short, I got into CSUN. I paid attention when professors were saying things that I liked and I made sure that I made relationships with those professors and I got their credibility early on so that if I've had questions, I could say, hey, do you know of any judges that are hiring externs or do you know of any local courthouses that are looking for extra help? And sure enough, I got um, one of my professors said, hey, I know of a judge that has externs that come every so often and I'm sure he would love to read your resume. And so I shot him my resume. And within that week, I was in court. I remember the interview very distinctly in my brain. I was super nervous, but I went in and he was having hearings again. And so I went in alone by myself, had to go through security, had to do all of the, you know, typical things that one does when you go to court and it's basically like TSA, but mm -hmm. after that, we went into his chambers and he interviewed me and went through my very short resume because I had no experience. And I made sure that I conveyed that I was willing to do the work necessary, even mm -hmm. though I was the only extern that was not in law school yet or had not been, you know, even starting law school yet or hadn't even taken the LSAT. But I made sure that I was specific and direct in the fact that I was going to put in all the work necessary to make sure that he would leave happy with me. And um, after I finished, we took a picture in the same exact spot that we took a picture in when I was a senior in high school. And it was a picture, I believe it was like two or three years in difference. And it was just crazy to see how just putting yourself in different positions and putting yourself in rooms and not being afraid to ask questions can get you somewhere. So did you did you realize that you had known the judge, that it was the same judge from a couple years previous? Oh, yeah. I, I didn't know. I knew going in that I had been to his courtroom prior, but I didn't know that I would develop such a deep friendship with him and such yeah. a long-lasting relationship and a long-lasting mentorship and I'm very, very lucky to have him. So I, I really recommend that even if it's not a judge, even if it's an attorney that you really admire or someone that is in their last year of law school or someone that practices a field of law that you're particularly interested in, whether that's immigration or bankruptcy or criminal defense, you need to find someone that you admire in the field that you want to go into and just ask plain and simple, if they're willing to teach you, as long as you're willing to put in the work. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, and I think it's really pertinent. I think it's very, very smart advice because even for those students or even for those those folks who are not really sure of what they want to do, I think that when you're going through high school, when you're going through college, hopefully and inevitably you will start to encounter people and situations that really pique your interest and you start to develop a sense of, I like this or I don't like this, you know, art, right. this is great. I love art, you know, and you start to go in a certain direction. You might not know exactly what you want to do, but your your advice applies to any situation from 
you know, someone who has no idea what they want to do to the person who has a really clear cut goal of what they'd like to do. It's, you know, keeping an eye out for people that you admire and maintaining relationships. And I definitely agree. And Asha would too. Just making the ask is a big part of it. Do you ever get nervous when you have to make these asks? Do you ever feel oh. like self-doubt or all the time? Robots? And and I feel like they never really get easier. You just get better at doing it. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to not care about what you're going to look like to other people or your peers when you're trying to navigate what you're interested in pursuing as a career. CSUN had really great resources for me. They have a lot of great clubs. They have a lot of great events. And I want to make sure that everyone understands that when you're going through law school, you're going to have to get over your fear of what other people think regardless, because you're going to have to articulate your points and your arguments and your thoughts to someone in a cohesive manner without caring what they think, only caring about what the outcome of your situation is going to be. Putting all that aside, Yes, you still get very nervous and it feels weird when you ask people that are or people that you think are in a much, you know, better off position than you in the career that you want to go into, you know, you're like, man, what am I going to do asking a federal judge as like someone that hasn't even gotten accepted into law school if I can be their extern? But you will never know until you ask. And the worst response you'll get is that, no, not not now or you know, you get you get some feedback as to what you could do better next time and you keep pushing forward. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard for you to gain the confidence that you need in order to successfully go through law school without fear or doubt in your brain that someone else is going to think that you're, you know, not right, as smart as right. them or not. And what would you say to the person who says, well, Marlon, you seem so much more confident than I am. You seem so much more outgoing than I am. I don't think I could do that. I would say I wasn't always like this. And I wish that I had listened to my mom when she said to not care what people think. And the sooner that you get over your fear of disappointing people, or the sooner you get over your fear of what someone else is going to perceive of you as a result of you stating your opinion or you being yourself is just going to hinder you. You need to move past that complex because as soon as you start doing the things that you enjoy and you work on your craft and you en- look at things more from the perspective of I would rather learn this as opposed to just getting it done, that's when you really grow. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I started liking and learning and being open to the fact that there's always going to be someone smarter than you in the classroom. And there's always going to be someone that you can learn from no matter who they are or who you think they are, because we're very quick to judge and even I slip up. But as soon as you allow yourself to learn from everyone, that's when it gets easier. You You realize that it's easier to connect to everyone and you start to be less judgmental yourself because you understand where, hey, he's a student too or she's a student too and they're just trying to get through the class the same way I am. And when you realize that you're all in the same position and nobody knows anything and nobody knows more than anybody else in law school at all ever or during the LSAT or during the law school application process, the stress goes away and it becomes less stakes and it you need to overcome your fear of avoiding stressful situations yes yes law school and the law school application process is a constant test as to how much stress you can handle and it's Mm -hmm. like that from the beginning of the process to the end starting from how do i get an externship all the way to the end of law school and in practice. So let's talk about the beginning. You graduate from undergrad and you decide you're going to go through the process. I want to be a lawyer. I need to take the LSAT, right? Talk us through that process. Okay. So the LSAT sucks. I hated every second of it. I literally didn't have a life. I was working in court in chambers every day 
going to school full time and studying for the LSAT. 10 out of 10 would not recommend doing that if it's possible. Don't stress <laughs> yourself out and don't spread your butter too thin because at the end of the day, it's your ticket and it's your opportunity to learn from the situation and to learn from the experience and to just take it as it is. It's like ripping a Band-Aid off. The sooner you get it done, the sooner you can move on from it and scrape yourself again. So I took the LSAT. I wasn't too confident in my score. Did you take and a preparation course? I did. And I don't necessarily think that the preparation course I took was the best one for me. However, I was working at the time, so I didn't have much wiggle room to adjust my studying tools. Mm -hmm. um, but I did what I could with what I had. So there's different forms of LSAT prep that you could look into. There's online courses. There's books that you can use that you can order online that some people swear by. There's in-person classes that you can go to to prep. And I really think it just depends on the person and doing your own research and thinking, am I disciplined enough to go to an in-person session once a week or twice a week and then do more studying alone by myself? Or is my schedule just too busy for that to be tangible for me? And should I do something less time consuming and more appropriate for my schedule? So it really varies. Um, and I think it doesn't matter if it takes a long time for you to do the research because the LSAT will always be there. And if there's no rush for you to go to law school, then you should take it more than once if you're not happy with your first score. The first time I took the LSAT, a fire alarm was pulled. So um, we had to evacuate the building. And it was one of the first times that they were transitioning onto a tablet version. Um, mm -hmm. Now that's prehistoric. I don't even think they do it like that anymore. I think it's online. This is how disassociated I am from this process at this point. Yeah. Besides that, I would just say look for a prep course that works for you and your time schedule and that's not going to stress you out. Because yeah. the worst thing that you can do to yourself during a crucial studying period is stress yourself out even further. And the LSAT is not reflective. The LSAT experience is not reflective of what law school is like in its entirety. Law school is one beast in and of itself, and the LSAT is another beast in and of itself. The questions that are asked on the LSAT are not even close, in my opinion, to the type of analytics that you need to process in law school. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. being said, professors swear up and down that the LSAT score correlates to how well you do in law school. I have no idea if that's accurate. It probably is considering it came from a professor. But the LSAT seems like at times it's made and designed to give you a hard time and to stress you out. It's like the first real test where you suddenly feel like, oh my God, everything that I prepared for doesn't, it doesn't equivocate to what the exam really is. It's a very weird exam. The format is all out of whack and the logic games are wild. But maybe that's the I don't part that's that. supposed to prepare you. Because that's like life, right? It's like yeah. you prepare for so much. If you're anything like me, it's kind of like you're, you're, an external optimist, but an internal doomsdayer where I'm like, yeah. okay, I need, I need to prepare for worst case scenario yeah. just so I have an idea of like where I could fall. It's like a dark way of thinking like, you know, if you shoot for the stars, you'll land at the moon kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's what it is. I mean, I think for the vast majority of people who don't have an example of somebody who's gone to law school or is in the legal profession, you know, we have what? We have very, very few examples <laughs> in media of a representation of a woman going to law school. And the only one I can yeah. literally think of right now is Legally Blonde. And that's the ideal situation where she and has this she huge got a sorority house. <laughs> and she goes to Harvard, which is, you know, unbelievable in itself. So 
what I really like about your story is that you're leveling the playing field a little bit. It's not really about how well you do on the LSAT. You can go, you can take it more than once. You don't have to do extraordinarily well at it or feel super confident because at the end of the day, it's a test designed to be difficult, partially probably for difficulty's sake. So you get a score that you're not totally happy with, you said, but then you apply to law school and you get into law school. I got in and it was with a score that I wasn't happy with. And that goes to show that if you're determined enough, you'll get in. (laughs) And if I can do it, I promise you anyone can do it. I have the worst test taking anxiety. I feel like I remember nothing that I studied for the LSAT in my third year of law school. And here I am. So at the time, I thought it was the biggest hurdle that I was ever going to cross. But relative to now, you know, you think, wow, I wish I really took advantage of, you know, the that was small fries. Now look where I am. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, I want to emphasize that the LSAT process and the LSAT taking process is not reflective of what law school is like. And it shouldn't diminish your enthusiasm for criminal law or all the fun things that you're going to learn in your first year, even though it does feel like it's never going to end. It will end. And I promise your score isn't as bad as you think it is. <laughs> and even if it is, you can always take the test again and you can always study harder the next time. So it's really water off a duck's back if you get a bad score on the first try. And it's probably only bad to yourself. I promise if you ask anyone else, it's probably not as bad as you think. Because no one has ever been asked questions the way you have as soon as you start prepping for the LSAT. Yeah. There's no way for anyone that hasn't gone through the experience to not really understand how the exam mentally drains you. So can you give me an example of a test? Like, is there anything that haunts you? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. They always used to do logic games with musicians and jazz players and music festivals. And I was never good at math. And these logic games were designed to make you have to diagram them. And so they would say, like, there's a music festival this week. And on Mondays, they have only jazz players. And there's nine instruments in the jazz band. And it's a violin, a guitar, and whatever. They'll list all the instruments. And then they'll say, like, on Fridays, only heavy metal is played. And there's 30 artists on this day. But these artists can't be on the same day as this artist. Or two guitarists can't be consecutive days or whatever you know they make it ridiculous and they ask you how far the sun is from I don't know Madagascar on September 50th like who cares like I don't they're so all a part of the the same question yeah Yeah. and you're sitting there and you're like there's 30 more and I have negative five seconds so how many figure this out (laughs) how many questions were on the test do you remember I don't even remember there it's divided into sections And each section is, I don't know if it's 25 minutes or 20 minutes. I'm definitely wrong because that's how long it's been. It's just made to be difficult and the logic games are difficult and reading comprehension is so long and it feels like it's never going to end. But after you're done with your first test or your first practice test, which I also recommend taking before you go into the exam, the questions are made to consume all of your time so that you cannot finish it. Most of the people that I know that took it with me did not get to finish all of the questions. That being said, some people really thrive in environments like that. Um, So I think at the end of the test taking or test prep period that I was going through, I enjoyed the logic games more at the end and I got better at them because I was practicing them so much. So over time and being patient with yourself and giving yourself the room to not be the best or I guess giving yourself the wiggle room to not have to meet the expectations that you set for yourself is key. Because if you set unrealistic expectations for yourself, and I promise you, you are because the LSAT and law school is like nothing else. It's going to be more emotionally draining on you and on the overall process in the long run. You need to be patient with yourself and you need to be patient with test prep. 
How long did you study for? Was it like a summer? Was it a month? I studied for three months before my first test. Not as consistently as I should have because, again, I was um, externing for the judge and I was studying at the same time in school. So um, I wasn't as consistent as I should have been. After I took the test the first time, though, I was able to navigate what I, what sections I really needed to work on. I was able to gain a sense of what the timing was like and what I physically was going to feel like during the test because as, as silly as that sounds, you never really know what your body is going to feel like on test day and anxiety right. can really be the main one to betray you. So I don't know about anyone else, but my anxiety triggers me in like my sweat and I get nervous and I shake and I tremble. Just giving yourself the room to be comfortable on that day will benefit you in the long Make run. Make a huge difference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you get into law school. What's the first year like? I got into law school and the first year was COVID. And we were all online. <laughs> and um, that was pretty debilitating for me because, you know, I wanted to go to law school for so long and I knew that it's what I wanted to do. And I was so eager to make friends with people with the same interests as me. And I wasn't going to get to meet them face to face in the way that everyone else that I knew that had gone to law school got to experience it for themselves. So that was the downside. But on the plus side, the friends that I did make were really, really good friends. And I knew that I had made lifelong friends. And I guess this all goes back to the non-judgmental point that I was making earlier where sometimes the people that you least expect to be your friends or to be your allies end up being your closest friends and your closest allies. And um, I made two really great friends, Johnny and Jonah, who I saw recently at Jonah and Ashley's wedding, um, Mazel Tov. And it's all about making friends with people that you're comfortable with, knowing that you're all in it together. It's the Titanic and you're all on this sinking ship and just trying to survive. And you're all in the same position. And nobody knows more than anyone. And you're all as equally stupid as the person to your left and to your right. No one is smart in your first year. And no one knows anything in your first year. I don't care if they have a million lawyers in their family. I promise you, they do not know strict liability. And I will die on that hill. So don't ever, don't ever feel like you're so much smarter than someone and that you can't be their friend because of that. Because odds are that's not the case. And you're overestimating yourself. Be friends with or everyone. Or underestimating. I think this goes back to the point of, you know, finding people yeah. that you admire and sticking to them. But I, I also really like how your point goes into, you know, not having huge expectations about who you yeah. should or shouldn't be friends with. Because you'll cut yourself off at the knees and eliminate a lot of potential for friendships and allyships and study yeah. groups. You just never know. You never know. You're not always going to be the smartest person in the room every time. Sometimes you will be, but it's that argument that I love to share where Albert Einstein was a genius in his field, but not in every field. And yeah. I know a lot about, you know, certain things and nothing about a vast majority of others. And I think that's the beauty of the learning experience is that yeah. as human beings, we're not supposed to know everything. That's how yeah. we continue to learn and grow. So. Okay, first year, what about the second year? I've heard I actually have quite a few friends who are attorneys, and I remember when they were going through law school, everyone said the first year is terrible, and then the second year gets a little bit better. Um, I would say that the first year is terrible because you don't know how to study, and you don't know quite how your perfect learning mechanism works yet. Um, law school doesn't get easier the second year. You just get better at it. And you get better at navigating how you study and how you learn and how you want to ask questions. And you also learn from your peers more, I think. And 
by the second year, you're more acclimated to your environment. You're more used to the people that you've seen. Um, don't be surprised or alarmed, sorry, if by the second year, you see only half of your classmates that you saw the first year. Some people decide that law school isn't for them after the first year, and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. But I would say once you get to your second year, you have a better idea of who your lifelong law school friends are going to be. And that's where you learn the most because you learn the best way to study in law school, in my opinion, and one of my professors told me this, um, and he's someone I admire extremely. He said that the best way to study was trying to explain the, do the doctrines that you learn in law school and the theories that you learn in law school to someone who is very, very smart, but not going through law school in the same way that you are and trying to see if they can understand it in your terms. And that's why making those connections and establishing those friendships early on and being open to making those connections is so important because it'll help you study in the future. Yeah. I think the same could be said. I mean, when I was um, studying for my boards, it was a very similar process. You have to look for, you know, people who kind of have a basic understanding or a general understanding of what you're talking about. And then the goal is to try and re-explain and re-explain and re-explain in different ways and recontextualize yeah. the information so that it's not rote memorization. It's actually, you know, understanding the concepts that you're supposed to be learning. Yeah. Um, did you have more agency over what types of classes you were taking your second and third years? Did you have an idea more of like what type of law you wanted to study and where, what direction you wanted to head into? Well, in terms of knowing what field of law I want to study, even the people that I look up to as mentors now say that I, what I probably think I'm going to practice right now is likely not going to be what I practice in the future. And that's okay if you don't immediately start practicing what you want to practice or if you're not initially taking bankruptcy law and that's what you want to practice and, and you're not you're taking not that sure. your first year. Yeah, or if you're not sure, that's also totally fine because the law is so encompassing of everything that I promise you will find some field of law that appeals to your interests and sparks your attention, you know? So um, in terms of knowing what my classes were going to be like, the first year across most law schools is pretty similar. Um, you take the pretty exciting classes, your fun, or the pretty exciting classes your first year you take. Criminal law, you might take criminal procedure depending on the school. I did. You take con law, depending on the school also. Torts is a really fun class. You look at life differently after that. But after the second year, you start to look into electives that you like. And depending on the school, you can also see if they have mentorship programs within the school where you can extern through your um, law school or you can extern through a professor that's currently practicing or some most of my professors now I'm very lucky and grateful shout out to UWLA School of Law that most of my professors now are um, sitting judges and that is the most underrated experience I think that anyone can have when you're going through law school I think Finding professors that appeal to what you like and making connections with them and going to office hours and asking the questions that nobody else is asking and then gauging from there. I like the way this professor teaches this class. What else do they teach? That's how I learned that I wanted to take my first elective, criminal practice. I really liked my criminal law class. I really liked my criminal procedure class. And it just so happened that the same professor that taught both of those courses was teaching criminal practice. And I thought, hey, what a good way to see if I want to do criminal defense in the future. I found out I did it, but at least I know now. So yeah, had it not been smart. for me taking that elective, I wouldn't have known that, hey, I don't really want to focus my attention on maybe applying to 
a criminal courthouse or a criminal defense firm or the DA's office or whatever type of, you know, criminal law you want to go into. There's so many different ways that you could go about it. But now at least I know I don't want to do that. I think that the really cool thing about grad school that perhaps not a lot of people realize is that these are, you know, once you get past undergrad and you have your bachelor's and you go into grad school, whether it's law school, whether it's business school, what have you, you know, after the preliminary courses are done, it's really designed to give you an idea of what area or what specialty you're going to go into after that. So in your case, you get through the first year of all of your required courses, and then the second and third years are usually designed to give students some kind of creative freedom over what they're going to do. The whole the whole idea is to expose you to a lot of different things, as many things as possible, so that you can start to figure out, like, what area of law do I want to practice? What area of business interests me? And just to give you a multitude of different experiences. So... In all of these processes, and I also want to talk about your experiences with teachers, I want to dive into that a little bit more. But before we do, have you, now you're in your third year, have you ever experienced moments of self-doubt where you were one of those people saying, is this what I want to do? Is law school still for me? Yes. I think everyone that goes through law school will have that moment once, once they get to a doctrine that is so mentally challenging and that you really can't wrap your mind around, you really start to question yourself. And you think, am I in the right profession? Is my brain designed to handle this much capacity? Like, how do they expect me to remember this? And how do they think I can memorize everything in such a short amount of time and then not only regurgitate analyze and apply it to a hypothetical scenario. That's what your finals are going to be like. So of course, at times you're thinking, these are real human beings that I'm going to have to deal with in the future. And it's going to be difficult to emotionally process everything all the time in the practice of law. And as soon as you understand that the stress is going to be not easier, again, the same way that law school is. You're just going to get better at managing it and tolerating it and knowing that nobody's perfect. And it's called the practice of law for a reason. And none of my mentors have ever told me that they're perfect attorneys or that they were perfect attorneys. Um, They're also always practicing. So it's a constant evolution of how can I learn from this mistake and how can I grow in my practice and in my studies and in me just being an academic so that I can help everyone else and myself and be more knowledgeable for the next time? I think it's all about preparation. I think it's an important point too, especially when you when you juxtapose the learning experience against what the future is going to be. And I really like how you describe how you think about what your future will look like. There are going to be people involved in these situations. Like these are hypotheticals in law school, but ultimately you're learning and practicing so that when you get out into the real world, you can counsel real people. And that's true of any career. And um, I think that the point I'm trying to make here is it is a practice And part of that, you know, just like everything else we practice, we practice confidence, we practice building strength, we practice learning. Um, You have to do it in the context of a changing world. Laws change, technology changes, the world changes. And so the, the key isn't necessarily knowing all of the information. It's being open to learning all of these things and creating a foundation for yourself and creating that, you know, confidence within that foundation. So I really like how you're describing and framing these different situations and how well you've been able to self-regulate and maintain a sense of confidence by practicing that muscle, by, you know, continually keeping your eye on the prize of, I have to keep learning, I have to keep shifting, I have to keep trying new things, I have to keep throwing stuff at a wall just to see what sticks, you know? Yeah. So teachers... 
you get to select your classes. You kind of started talking about this. I think anyone who's ever been in school says, you know, there was this teacher I really hated or this teacher I really loved. (laughs) So have you had any like really key experiences here that you want to share with our listeners in terms of like teacher selection or navigating a teacher who's just terrible or not understanding (laughs) you or that you're not seeing eye to eye with? Yeah. Um, So first of all, I think law school professors are very different from any teacher that you're ever going to have just because of the way that law school is designed. Um, It's typically taught by the Socratic method, which means that you don't typically get to volunteer. Sometimes professors are nice and they will let you volunteer or they'll call names in an alphabetical order. But typically it's the luck of the Irish or the luck of the unlucky, I guess, whoever is prepared that day. If you get called on, it's game on. And you have to see if you can comprehend what the professor's doing with you. And it's a game of tennis, essentially. He's going to feed you questions that you're expected to know. And if you don't know them, sometimes they give you a hard time, but that's only because they want you to remember that moment so that you remember that exact doctrine and that rule that you didn't get the first time and so that you won't, you know, misspeak or get it wrong on the final. But one thing I learned about law school and navigating those really tough professors, because you will inevitably encounter at least one tough professor that sticks to the Socratic method and will not call on volunteers and will expect everyone to be perfect counsel and perfect attorneys as soon as he or she calls their names. But I had a very, very strict professor my first year of law school. He was my torts professor. He was extremely disciplined and scary to me at first. And I learned in the end that he was so disciplined and scary and strict towards us because He wanted to push us to our limits to prove to ourselves that we could do it. Even though he would struggle with you sometimes and asking questions, he would still do the struggle with you and he would make sure that you made it out of that mental struggle so that you understood the concept at the end of the day. And sometimes those really tough and challenging professors are the ones that you appreciate the most in the end because you're way more prepared now than anyone else who's studying the same class as you. Um, For example, I have a really good friend who's a year behind me. And he said, uh, I've heard from everyone not to take that professor that he's super hard and that he's super strict and he grades extremely hard. My advice to him was you should definitely take that professor. And yes, he is extremely (laughs) hard. And It's going to be your first taste of what talking to a judge in a courtroom is like. Judges are there to navigate people's real lives and to make real life choices for people who are going to have to face the consequences of either their actions or inactions or, you know, whatever's going on in their life that has inevitably forced them to take legal action. And you would much rather have a professor pester you with questions in a makeup scenario as opposed to have a judge pester you with questions for the first time and you not know how to navigate them when there's a real life paying client on the end. So take the hard professors. Don't be afraid. They're always there because they want you to learn and they want to talk to students who are interested in the material And they like questions. As dumb as you think your question is, everyone else probably has the same question as you. And the professor will likely be thankful that you were the one that asked it so that they didn't have to bring it up on their own. They like the back and forth. Law school classes kind of feel like a tennis match. And that's okay because that's what court feels like. And the sooner you start practicing it and being comfortable with not always getting along with the person on the other end of the lectern, you know, or the person on the bench, even though you may not see eye to eye to them at all times, you're going to have to deal with them. Mm -hmm. And as soon Mm -hmm. as you practice 
how you're going to go about answering their questions or responding to them and getting used to the discomfort, it gets easier. And you may not like that professor at the end of the class, even after you're done, but that just goes to show that sometimes certain subjects just aren't your best subject. And that's okay too. I wasn't particularly good at evidence. My oldest brother got the highest grade in evidence. I got a really good grade in crim law. He didn't. So everyone has different opinions on professors. Not everyone has a clear concept of what every professor is like. So I wouldn't necessarily always go by what like a classmate or maybe a higher or a Mm -hmm. A 2L or a 3L, what they say about a professor, typically schools will let you switch classes within the first two weeks. So if you can tell from day one that you don't like a professor's teaching style and you would rather go to another another professor, you should totally ask your school because they'll typically accommodate you. Just be open to the professors that are really tough because you'll get better at navigating their strictness. My professor that scared the bejesus out of me um, recently just helped me get a job. So even though they're really strict and tough, they really care. When you get a question wrong in his class, he makes you do 10 push-ups, quote unquote. Um, (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes if the student is feeling a little tired, we're like, all right, 10 push-ups. And he always says that discipline equals freedom. And at first you were like, you know, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Discipline equals freedom. And then you realize that discipline is something that you have to instill in yourself. And when you make the little changes in your daily routine that helps you adapt to a more consistent means of going about your day-to-day life so that you can tackle law school, you'll get better at law school. You'll learn how you can tolerate certain things or how you do in certain scenarios. And every day is a different learning experience. But teachers are going to be your best friend and your worst enemy all in one. And that's okay because they're meant to be like that. And Mm -hmm. you'll learn eventually that they want you to succeed and want you to practice and want you to fail so that you can learn from that. Mm-hmm. So oh, not love, being afraid of love failure. A good failure. Yes. I love a good failure. So Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, my one of my last questions, how you clearly have navigated the last 3 years of law school successfully. You got through the LSAT, you got in, you're on your final, you're you're headed into your final stretch. <laughs> how do you balance law school and home life and keep your sanity and enjoy yourself. Is that even a possibility for you? (laughs) The first year, it feels like it's not. And (laughs) that's okay because your time is going, your spare time is going to diminish way more than it ever has in your entire life. But that is because you don't want to ever hire an attorney who's incompetent. You don't want people representing you in court that don't know what they're doing. It's meant to be rigorous and it's meant to be time consuming and you're meant to really put all of your energy into it. And that can be difficult sometimes when you're navigating family events or if you have, you know, a split family like I do. My parents are divorced. So sometimes navigating how I need to divide my time is a bit of a challenge. But early on, you need to convey to all of the people that you really care about and that you spend most of your time with, that you're not going to be as easily accessible as you were previously. And that isn't because you love them any less or because you don't want to be there for them or because you don't have time for them. It's because you can't emotionally take care of yourself and do what you want to do and be the best version of yourself for them at that time simultaneously while you're in law school and navigating a whole new language, essentially. Mm -hmm. So setting boundaries early, saying, hey, mom, I know that you really want me to go salsa dancing with you on Saturday, (laughs) but I have a motion to compel due. So I can't. 
but I promise you when I'm done with my degree and I have that JD, we can go to as many salsa classes as you want. And it's also okay to set aside one day of your week and say, I'm not opening a textbook today. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to do yoga. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to get my nails done. Self-care on your spare time and giving yourself a little me workshop is always beneficial to you in the week. So if you feel like, hey, or even if it's not a full day, even if it's a half day, or even if it, I wouldn't say two days because that's a bit much if you're doing a full-time <laughs> schedule your first year, but um, if you could do give one day, something. give yourself yeah. something. I, you know, I wouldn't say go crazy at Nordstrom because that's very easy to spiral, particularly for me. But like, I would say, let yourself indulge and have one thing that you're just, unapologetically a fan of and if that's what you want to do on your one day don't let anyone criticize it don't let anyone take it away from you because the rest of your week is going to be fully dedicated to something else and you need to be present for multiple things and in order for you to be present in everything that you're committed to you need to allow yourself the recovery time otherwise there's no way there's no way it's just like exercising it's just like just like strength training Well, I love that. And um, I really think that our listeners are going to benefit from your fresh take on how to navigate law school like an utter boss. I thank you for being so transparent about your experiences and not sugarcoating anything and just giving us the real good goods on, you know, what it's actually like to be under the pressure of your own goals. I mean, that's that's a real thing. And I, I see you being very, very successful in the future. And I'm Aww. proud to know you and proud to, proud to love you. So before we wrap up, I think we have a little bit of time to do a really quick fast five. We do this with okay. all our guests. And then we'll, we'll close out with a question we ask everyone. So if you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number one, how do you wind down after a tough day? Definitely rotting in bed under the covers and blasting the AC and scrolling on my phone for like 45 (laughs) minutes. Even though that's not the best way, it works for me and it lets my brain decompress. So that's what I do. (laughs) Number number two, best piece of advice you've ever received? From my mom. um, Don't give a check about what anybody thinks. (laughs) Number three, one thing you couldn't get through your day without? My water bottle, my emotional support water bottle. (laughs) (laughs) And it's pink, very on brand. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Number four, I think you kind of covered this, but virtual or in-person learning? Oh, man. It depends on everyone, but I personally love in-person learning. Okay. Number five, how do your most successful days begin? Blasting Beyonce on my portable speaker in the shower. I love that. Okay. (laughs) All right. And this is the final question. We ask this of all of our guests. What was one quality you had as a young woman that you didn't take pride in then that you look back on now and you really appreciate? Oh, I've never thought of that. I think being so opinionated. I was really ashamed of my own opinions for a long time and I never really spoke up for myself. I wish I could be as unapologetically myself as I was when I was a child and more open with my opinions and less timid now, or I guess more less conscious of what anyone else is going to think and just being open with myself and being open with my opinions. I wish that I could be as outspoken as I was as a child. So yeah. I've, and, there's and, there's still time. You've got a lot yeah. of time. <laughs> I feel like I, I was so much more um, unhinged as a kid. And now I'm like so much more refined. Sometimes I wish I was more unhinged. But you yeah, know, there, that's it. There's a, there's a time and space. I think you'll figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Marlon. I think this is going to be a really, really great resource for a lot of people. And it was so lovely having you on the show. If you're willing to share some of your law school resources, we'll go ahead and link them in our show notes. And um, 
we thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a huge admirer and it's such a blessing and an honor to be here and I'm really thankful. And I lastly want to say that law school and the practice of law and applying for law is a marathon, not a race. Excellent. Excellent advice. All right. Thanks, Marlon. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?